Proverbs chapter 31. Let's begin reading together in verse 10. Brethren, let us hear God's holy word. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships and bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen. May the Lord be pleased to bless this reading of His uh, precious Word. A virtuous woman is priceless and rare. Franz Delich once wrote, A wife such as she ought to be is a rare treasure, a good excelling all earthly possession. Matthew Henry adds, Who can find her? This intimates that good women are very scarce, and many that seem to be so do not prove so. Well, the Spirit-inspired Word of God makes clear that the virtuous woman is rare because of whom she serves. She knows, loves, and serves the Lord Jesus Christ. And because she is in union with Him, His glory is reflected in her life. She is a rare and precious jewel because according to the riches of His glory, 
she is strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. This reveals itself in the life displayed in the verses before us. So our title this evening is A Woman That Feareth the Lord. That comes from verse 30. A woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. This is part three with this particular title. And we are exploring this theme in several messages with three things in mind. The definition of a virtuous woman's godly fear, and we spent a message on that. The manifestation of a virtuous woman's godly fear, and that's where we continue to be. And we will ultimately finish this considering the third point, the fruit of a virtuous woman's godly fear. But we return this evening to the manifestation of a virtuous woman's godly fear. The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. Now this means that a virtuous woman's day-to-day life is always being conformed to the Word of God. In this way, she brings the rule of God to earth and gives us a vision of God's kingdom in daily living. Even in the most mundane things, she exemplifies the rule of God in the heart. As we noted in our last study, this uh, passage before us isn't simply a picture of a pleasant life and a lovely woman. This is a portrait of what God's rule in the heart looks like. Now, a virtuous woman's domestic life is a manifestation of her godly fear. This affectionate reverence the bending of oneself humbly and carefully to the Father's law. Now, thus far, we have considered the following. Her godly fear is seen in her faithfulness. Her godly fear is seen in her unchanging goodness. And her godly fear is seen in her diligence. Tonight, we want to take up God willing, four more things. Her godly fear is seen in her selflessness. In her selflessness. Her godly fear is seen in her wisdom. Her godly fear is seen in her mercy. And her godly fear is seen in her manner of speaking. Each of these, no doubt, could be a message. In fact, a couple of them could probably be several messages. But we simply want to highlight these particular aspects of her godly fear this evening. First of all, godly fear is seen, her godly fear is seen in her selflessness. And that is first seen in her selflessness towards her husband. You'll notice that the words in verse 12 say, She 
will do him good all the days of her life. She does this by humble submission to God's Word, walking in the role that He has ordained for her. The backdrop here is clearly within the domestic realm. That should be very plain as we read this particular passage. As I have said, and as the Word of God makes very, very clear, that there is a domain over which women are given clear and specific dominion. Remember that man and woman are to have dominion over the earth. And each has a specific role. And a woman, as a helper, has, in general, the rule of the house. Now, not in the sense of ruling over her husband, but her domain is the home and helping her husband in his calling. This is one of the reasons that her husband is known in the gates. As it speaks about him being known, quite obviously the intent of the Holy Spirit here is one of the reasons that he's known is because of his wife. Everyone knows the old proverb or the old cliche behind uh, every successful man there's a, a good woman or various there are various uh, forms of that particular uh, saying. But there is a truth in that. Um, very often, as a woman takes seriously the role that God has given her and actively pursues with all of her heart what God has set before her as far as her role with her husband goes, she will labor alongside him as he obeys the Lord in his calling. And she will, more times than he will ever be able to keep count of, be a blessing and an encouragement to him if she is in fact an excellent wife, a virtuous woman. There are those that are poisonous to their husbands. The foolish woman, the the Proverbs tell us, uh, tears down her her own house with her her own hands. There are women that are utterly destructive of their husbands and what they have been called to do. But this is why the virtuous woman is so rare. And the man who has a virtuous wife, cannot but sing her praises and bless and praise and thank his God with all of his might. Charles Spurgeon tells the story of a pastor who would gather from time to time with uh, a number of other pastors. And it appears that this particular gathering was not of entirely like-minded elders. Uh, When they would get together for their their time of fellowship and meeting, some of the men were clearly not as spiritually minded as the hero of Spurgeon's story and were men quite often given to goading one another uh, in ways that would not be encouraging. And 
this good pastor, this good preacher, had apparently a very shrewish wife. And she was a great grief to his soul. Uh, this is a, a true story, as Spurgeon relates it, that she, she was so hard, so tight with the money, she wouldn't even let him have light in his study. And there were actually handprints that had that had uh, made their impression in their plaster wall over the years in his study as he attempted to go around his room in the dark. And the other men knowing his plight and the difficulty that he regularly faced, rather than encouraging him in mocking tones, proposed a toast and said, let's... Let's toast our brother and uh, let's toast his wife. Uh, and uh, they were all having a good laugh because they knew the condition that the man lived in and the difficulties that he faced. And the man answered, he said, uh, I, I have a better wife than you all. She drives me to my knees seven times a day. And that's the spirit of a man who understands not only God's sovereignty, but the sanctifying providences that the Lord uh, brings into one's life. And while this is a sad story on one hand and a little amusing at his wit on the other, the fact is there are women, unfortunately, that drive their husbands to their knees seven times a day, not in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord over her being a virtuous woman, but nonetheless blessing God for the sanctification that he has brought in an unfortunate package. So, the virtuous woman is rare because in her love for the living God, she manifests her godly fear with selflessness, not selfishness. She works in such a way as to make the home a blessed retreat and domain for her husband. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Well, this is exactly what is set before us in Proverbs 31. This is the commentary on what is being said in brief by Paul. The very words here, guide the house, literally in Greek mean manage the household. Run the household. Women are given great skills. They are given great gifts by the living God 
for the management of their homes. This is why they are so good. And very often uh, men hire uh, uh, women for to be secretaries or those that help them organize things because they often have wonderful skills of organization and administration. This is a gift from God. But they have been given primarily to be exercised in the domain that God has ordained. And that is the home. This is why Paul says, I will, therefore. In other words, he's giving an apostolic admonition. He is giving a clear apostolic directive that the younger women marry. He doesn't say go out and make a name for yourself with a career. He says, I will that they marry. That they bear children because this is honoring to the Lord. Guide the house. Guide the house. And give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. And so, as we see verse after verse unfold in chapter 31, we see, She seeketh wool and flax, and worketh, she worketh willingly with her hands. She brings the food from afar. She riseth while it's yet night. She giveth, giveth food. She giveth meat to her household. She considereth the field. And we go through all of these things. What do we see? We see management. We see a household management. You will notice that in all of these things, her husband is not mentioned until it gets a little bit further down when it says her husband is known in the gates because of the extraordinary stewardship of this good woman. She is diligent in her labors and selfless as she does him good. As I have said before, and as I draw your attention again, when it says she will do him good and not evil, uh, from verses 13 on down, this is what it means for her to do good and not evil. This is how she does him good. She gives of herself for the oversight of that dominion, that, that domain that God has given her. She's not only selfless towards her husband, she is selfless toward her household. As we see in verse 15, She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Now what we have here is a woman who gets up early in the morning to make sure that everyone has their breakfast. Has a good start on the day. Now this doesn't mean that dad can't get up and fix breakfast. That isn't what's being said here. We're not being given uh, an absolute law in the sense that no one else is permitted in the kitchen or that can cook. But what we're being told is that this is how she gives of herself in her management. She is someone who denies herself sleep, rest, for the well-being of others. And this is a great blessing. I can tell you, I know firsthand that not only in the home, but in the church, there are women who give of themselves this way. In fact, I, I can say, well, I'm 
won't embarrass them, but uh, we've, we've got sisters here that when we have special occasions like we recently had for uh, the Gormans and for others who are up till nearly dawn trying to have things right and in place. Not encouraging that. But what I'm, I'm pointing out is this. What we see is a Christ-like self-sacrifice that goes to great lengths for the well-being of others. Selfless. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat, food to her household and a portion to the maidens. It it should be uh, something that catches our attention that she's feeding the maidservants. Again, all of these things are set before us instead of someone just uh, coming and bringing her breakfast in bed. She's up and fixing breakfast for others, even those who serve her in the house. So the, the point, the picture being painted in this blessed portrait is one of self-denial and of selflessness for the well-being of others. And what else breathes the Spirit of Christ like selflessness, self-sacrifice? Paul writes of the Lord Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant. This is the living God come in the flesh. And what form did He take? He came in the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, whereby God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what do we see? Someone who in self-sacrifice for the well-being of others is lifted up and exalted. And so we have the very same here. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. A woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Again, how Christ-like this is. Romans chapter 15, verses 2 and 3 says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Let's read that again. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ, the living God, come in the flesh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, pleased not himself. But as it is written, The reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. 
How many a time has a gracious and good woman herself racked with sickness dwelt on and nurtured and nursed sick children, sick families. But brethren, a godly woman's fear, her bowing to the things of the living God, can be seen in her selflessness. And we see the very rule of Christ in the human heart, and in a sin-cursed earth, when the rays of that selfless life burst forth. Well, her godly fear is also seen in her wisdom. A virtuous woman manifests her godly fear and humble worship by wise words and deeds. You'll notice it says in verse 26, she openeth her mouth with wisdom. Now, How are we to understand the word wisdom? How are we to understand the word wisdom? Wisdom in the Bible generally means masterful understanding. It means skill. There's not an exact word in English for the Hebrew. And uh, as, as one Hebrew scholar says, really the closest word that we have, though it's not exact, but the, the closest word we actually have in English to this Hebrew word is expertise. As one writer says, uh, the Greek word here translated wisdom is not inert knowledge. You could memorize the book of Proverbs and not have wisdom. Wisdom always implies ability to carry out what one knows. Ability to carry out what one knows. See, there's expertise. So, when we speak of someone being wise, in the biblical sense... We're talking about someone with the skill and the knowledge of right living. The skill and the knowledge of right living. In other words, something of an artist in the application of God's truths. And this we see abundantly in the virtuous woman. When we read through this, what do we see but a masterful understanding, a skillful application of the truths of Almighty God? The virtuous woman's life displays expert living. Expert living. Having internalized the truths of God's Word, she masterfully applies them in ways that honor her Creator and benefit those around her. See, we can 
We can take the Proverbs and memorize everything in here, but that will not in and of itself make us wise. Now, we can't do it without the knowledge that the Proverbs bring us, but there must be a skill in taking this truth and applying it, looking at life, sizing up the things that come to us. Listen, life is dangerous. Life is painful. Life is full of surprises. Life is full of joy. But life is always full of jolts, trials, challenges. With all of the joy that the Lord gives us. And we face things every day. And a woman in her home, doing the things that God has set before her, is going to face things where she must have a skillful application of the Word of God. Now, let me say something delicately here. Men don't always say things well in women's hearing. Well, I will do what I can to say this well. If I fail, I trust you will at least appreciate the attempt. What we're being told is that a woman is not to be guided by her emotions, by her feelings, but that the gifts and skills that God has given her are to be guided by the light given by the power of the Holy Spirit and skillfully applied. This takes thought. This takes art. This takes skill. No human being is to just live bouncing off the walls of his emotions. But because of the tender and gentler emotional structure, generally, of women, they are far more prone to fall prey to how they feel. And one of the things that sets the virtuous woman apart is that she is skillfully applying what God has taught her and not just going through life emoting. We look in our passage again in verse 13. We see she seeketh wool and flax. Now the word here, seeketh, means to seek with care, with diligence. She considereth, listen to the words, she considereth a field and buyeth it. She doesn't just say, well, I, oh, I feel good about this. She considereth the field and buyeth it. And then with the fruit of her hands, she planted the vineyard. We see an application of something here. She comes, she looks, she thinks, she evaluates, she makes a decision, and then from that profitable decision, 
there is fruit. Literally and figuratively, when she plants a vineyard with the profits that she makes. She perceiveth, it says, that her merchandise is good. Listen once again to the words, verse 18. She perceiveth. But what, are we, what are we seeing here? She's wise. She's thinking. She's working through these things. <clears throat> we have a wonderful example of this in an unnamed wise woman in Second Samuel chapter 20. Verse 16, Joab, David's general, is hard on the trail of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and Sheba is taking refuge in a city, and in good manly fashion, Joab's ready to just level the city to get this guy. What he's going to do? He's in there. We'll just take it down. Verse 16 says, Then cried a wise woman out of the city. And we have the word, a wise woman. Hear, hear, say I pray you unto Joab. Come here, hither, come, excuse me, come near, hither, that I may speak with thee. And when he was come near unto her, the woman said, Art thou Joab? And he answered, I am he. Then said, then she said unto him, I like this now, Hear the words of thine handmaiden. And he answered, I do hear. Now I would love to have heard how all this was being said. <laughs> Remember, this is an army. This is Joab. This is a hardened soldier. This is a man who has shed the blood of many, many, many men. This is not a lightweight fellow. He's a schemer. He's a plotter. He will do anything to keep his power, and he has done so. He's a mighty and powerful veteran of war. I mean, there are times when David even says, I don't know what to do with you. I mean, this is a rough character. And this woman says, Are you Joab? Yeah. I got something I want to say to you. All right. (laughs) I'm listening. I hear. Then she spake, saying, They were wont to speak in old time, saying, They shall surely ask counsel at Abel. And so they ended the matter. Now I am one of them that are peaceful and faithful in Israel. And she gives an example. And she says, Now we want to apply that example here. It was one time said this, and We want to apply that to this situation. I am one, one of them that are peaceable and faithful in Israel. We love David. We love his rule. We're for peace here. Thou seekest to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why wilt thou swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? All right, you with your army standing there, why do you want to come in and destroy a peaceable city and a mother in Israel? We're God's inheritance. What is she appealing to when she says that? The Word of God. 
the counsels of God. We're God's inheritance. We're Abraham's seed here. We're in the promised land. And we're living in peace. And Joab answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. The matter is not so. But a man of Mount Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, hath lifted up his hand against the king, even against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said unto Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. Then the woman went unto the people in her wisdom. Don't miss this. This is inspired of the, of the Holy Spirit. And they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and cast it out to Joab. No doubt. She came back in and said, now listen. And here's a town full of people, men, women, the whole crew. And this wise woman says, there's an army out there. And Joab, David's right-hand man, is angry and he's looking for this one guy. Now, are we going to protect this fellow? I mean, he's, he's a rebel against David. Are we going to protect this fellow and let these guys level the city? Or are we going to throw this fellow's head out to Joab? They cut the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and cast it out to Joab. And he blew a trumpet, and they retired from the city, every man to his tent. Here was a woman, a woman who stopped an invading army from destroying her entire city. She was wise. She internalized the truths of God. Now, I don't know how many of us, especially some of you tender ladies and sensitive ladies out there today, would be quite so willing as, as she was in her day to say, look, cut the guy's head off, throw it over the wall, let him have the head, we'll be all right. But this is what is being said before us. She stood on the Word of God when she spoke to, to Joab. We're the Lord's people here. We're the inheritance of God. What are you doing? She reasoned with him. Her godly fear is seen in her wisdom. And the Word of God records her as an example for us. As a woman of wisdom. This is why chapter 11 verse 22 says, As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. Our, our culture says, ooh, if she looks like the cover of this magazine, she's desirable. The Word of God says, she's desirable if she's wise. So much so that we're giving, given one of these jarring Descriptions, one of these jarring pictures that we find in Proverbs. They're, they're strung throughout the book. 
where something is juxtaposed. Two, two things are set side by side that are so opposite that it makes us sit up and take notice of what's being said. Can you imagine a pig with a jewel of gold in his snout? It doesn't make the pig pretty, does it? And it seems entirely out of place. Gold and a pig's snout. What an odd combination. And so, it says, so is a beautiful woman who doesn't have wisdom. Ladies, be radiantly beautiful by internalizing the Word of God and standing in it. Stand your ground in the Word of God. Know Christ. Know His Word. And become an expert at applying it. You might save a city. You will certainly be a blessing to your husband. Well, a a virtuous woman is rare and her godly fear can be seen in her mercy. In her mercy. It says, She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. In the midst of her wisdom, with the expertise that she has in applying the Word of God in her life, she gloriously and wonderfully is not stingy, but very generous, gracious, and merciful. She sees the needs of others. She sees the needs of others. And she does what she can. She stretcheth out. Isn't that a beautiful word picture? She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Chapter 19 of verse Proverbs, verse 17 says, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. She's learned something else. One of the ways that she is profitable to her husband and to her household it's that she is merciful and shows it to others. And God blesses it. God blesses those. Now, I know there are those who abuse this truth. We are not a name it and claim it group here. But we are a biblical group that believes the Word of God. And those who are generous to the poor Know the blessings of the Lord. Why? Because when they bless the poor, they look like God. They look like the One who is merciful to sinners, to those who are in their need, 
Brethren, we deserve nothing but the fury and the wrath of God. But in His mercy, He comes to us and He gives. And He gives to the needy. We need righteousness. He gives it to us in the blood of Christ. The greatest riches ever given. The virtuous woman is a rare and precious jewel because she magnifies the mercy of the Lord. Chapter 22 of Proverbs, verse 9 says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Her home is blessed of God because she is a blessing to others. Doesn't this sound like our God? First Chronicles 16.34 Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. And that is amplified and repeated in the Psalms numerous times. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. And we see that mercy the most clearly in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see God looking upon those worthy of nothing but judgment, but needy, and giving of Himself. We saw it all through the Gospels in Christ's life. He's labored all day, healing ministering to the needs of others and the disciples are tired. They're worn out. And they say, let's send them off, Lord. And the Lord says, I have compassion upon them. They might faint in the way. Feed them before they go. Mercy. How many a time is a a blessed mother stopped you on the way out the door and said, "Uh, uh, take this with you. You might need it. Something could happen. Something could take place. You'd you'd need this. Take this with you. What do you see? Someone who is stirred at the thought of suffering or the misery of others. Someone who enters in to their suffering and shows mercy because of it. The godly woman. The blessed godly woman. The virtuous woman. Manifests her fear of God. Because her mercy shows forth. It looks like the God who loved us. Psalm 105 says, For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, I had one more, but I'm going to stop tonight. We're going to look at her godly fear in her manner of speaking. But I think we've covered enough for this evening. We'll come back to this. And we'll combine it with our last point, God willing.
But let's stop and think then. We've seen glorious expressions of godly fear. A woman that feareth the Lord. A woman who affectionately reverences her God and bends her will to His will. Who shapes her thinking. Who shapes her life, her words, everything about her with the truth of God. This is a woman that fears the Lord. And we've seen it in her mercy. We have seen it in her selflessness. We have seen it in her wisdom. And all of these things are to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies, there's no way to be the virtuous woman without being in union with the Lord Jesus. Do you know Him? Oh, I know many of you do. But you know, I can't see the heart. And I have to call all of us. And as I speak unto thee, I have to say, for my own conscience sake, is this how you live? Are you trying to be the virtuous woman by piling all of this stuff up on the outside? Or do you know yourself alive in Christ? And walking with Him. So that from the inside out, the fear of the Lord is manifested in your ways, in your words. Oh, look to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust the Savior. And if you know Him, don't lose sight of these things. As the children cry, as the 14th mess of the morning has been made, as your husband calls with yet another uh, intriguing idea for the day. As you wrestle with life, as you face the things that come in God's providence, learn to be experts at applying the wisdom of God by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Thou art good and gracious and merciful. Father, Thou art all these things. Thou art selfless. Thou art wise. Thou art merciful. We would not be here without Thy mercy. Father, I pray, take these truths, burn them into our hearts, and may all of us profit as we hear these things and walk in them to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.stillwater.com swrb.com We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton that's E-D- 
M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.